Hi everyone, this is Jessica Chen and you are listening to the Communicating Confidently podcast. Each episode is meant to teach and inspire you to find new ways to level up your speaking skills. Because here's the truth, it's possible and I'm so thrilled you're here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our Communicating Confidently podcast. Today, I am chatting with Rob Rezante. Now, Rob is one of our board of communicators. Now, for those who are wondering, what's your board of communicators? Well, that is our one-on-one communications coaching program here at the company. So if you've ever wondered, what is it like working with a one-on-one coach on your communication skills? Well, Rob's your guy. He is an absolute communications expert. And that's why I invited him on to chat with us about how to overcome the communications anxiety at work. Now, let me tell you, Early on in my career, I used to feel this way too, especially whenever I spoke with senior managers. My heart would start pumping, my palms would get sweaty, my mind, oh gosh, it would just feel like it's racing 100 miles an hour. But today, we're going to be sharing our favorite tips and tricks because here's the thing. You can overcome that anxious feeling, especially if it's something that you feel like you're absolutely crippled by. So today we're going to be chatting about how to overcome that. How do you overcome that work anxiety and be mindful in your communications? How do you let go of that fear of judgment because you're afraid what other people are going to be thinking of you and how you can reframe your mental barriers that really prevent you from speaking up? We're going to be chatting about it all. We have a great conversation for you. So let's get into it. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? You're on mute. So be sure to unmute yourself. <laughs> doing well. How about you, Jessica? I'm doing great. It's really good to have you. Uh, you are our first board of communicators who's actually on our Soulcast Media Live. So I'm very happy and very excited for what we have to talk about. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I gave a little introduction of who you are, but please share with the audience a little bit about you, the communications work that you do, and how you even got into communications coaching. Love to learn. Yeah, for sure. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Rob Rizante, and I consider myself a academic because I teach in academia, communication courses specifically, but then on the side, I also do communication coaching and training. And... Really got my start there with Alan Carroll and Associates, who their Donna and Alan, their daughter, Jen, was in one of my classes at Arizona State. So a small world. And I believe I really got into communication in general because of my family. I grew up, I'm one of six boys in my family. And being the middle child, you're always learning from the older siblings, but then you're also teaching the younger. And as a middle child, you're also the mediator. You're the facilitator of conversation. So it's kind of ingrained in who I am, but it's also translated into the work that I've done in academia and coaching and consulting in general. It's so funny because being the middle child, I feel like that's definitely a position where your voice can actually be drowned out a lot. You have Mm -hmm. your older siblings who are getting all the attention or even the youngest sibling who are getting all the attention and you're just kind of like in the middle. So even kind of finding your voice, that's probably a struggle too sometimes, right? Yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Especially my brother, Jim, 
Jim, if you're joining, he's the one that would always pick on me. I wouldn't get listened to and I'd get disciplined. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure from those personal experiences, it translates really well to a lot of the technical communication skills that we're going to be talking about today. So for those who are just joining for the very first time who just logged on, I want to do a really quick welcome. We're here talking about how to overcome workplace anxiety, communicating at work. So let's just dive into this. So Rob, communications anxiety was actually something that I used to struggle with too. And I learned a lot of like tips and tricks, which I'll share later on in our chat of like how I was able to kind of, I don't even want to say overcome, mm. but just better manage a lot of anxiety that can come with just communicating with people, just dealing with people. So I want to get your perspective on this topic, overcoming communications anxiety. So when people come up to you and they say, hey, Rob, I just get really nervous when I speak up in meetings or I get really nervous when I talk to my manager. When people come up and say, how can they deal with that? What advice do you give them? Yeah. Yeah. Your comment of never really quite getting there really strikes home. And when people express anxiety in communicating, the first thing I do is just congratulate them and say, congratulations, because you're alive, you're living, and this is all part of what living is like. I believe that's important, though, because if we have that recognition that, yep, I'm a human being who struggles with communication anxiety from time to time, other people experience that, too. What that does is it brings down the barriers and it says, all right, they're like me. I'm like them. There's that common connection that we can use to, in a way, take all these concerns and put them off to the side. But I believe one of the first things I, I tell people is, in addition to being a human being, all right, what, are, what can we do? What are some things we can do to really reduce our anxiety? And I believe the first thing to do is just recognize it. Yep. Recognize what are those cues that cause us to maybe rip at our nails or maybe our heart starts to beat fast. So recognize that cue and then recognize our response. So the cue public speaking or speaking with other people is the cue, but the response is the ripping of the nails. It's the heart beating. It's the mouth getting dry. And in developing any skill, it's important to practice and practice and practice. So unlearning ineffective habits like the ripping of the nails, the stuttering, the, the swaying, but then learning new skills. So anything I'm learning how to swim right now, and I have some bad habits of swimming, of, of overturning too much and not breathing correctly, but that's the first place to start. Recognize where you are and then make some adjustments along the way because that's how we continually improve. I'm curious for the folks who are on this and listening right now, whenever you all feel nervous, what are some habits that you notice yourself getting into? And I'm talking about maybe even just like bodily reactions to anxiety feel free to throw it into the chat of like, oh yeah, I know like when I get nervous, this is what I do or this is what happens. And I'll share when I get nervous. And here's the thing. I sometimes still get nervous when I communicate and I teach communications for a living, but I know I get nervous because my palms start getting kind of sweaty. That's my reaction. And my heart, it starts beating really fast, especially those first few seconds when right before I 
for example, doing like a big, large keynote presentation. I know I'm nervous because my heart's pounding. And sometimes I feel like I have to use a restroom. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I know. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm definitely really nervous. So what Rob and I are saying is feeling nervous is something that maybe we may not ever not feel. And like what Rob said, that's just part of being human. So don't feel that you know you've become the epitome of a great communicator once you stop being nervous. Let's just set the stage right now. Mm -hmm. We're all probably going to continue to feel nervous. And what I'll say is the reason why is your environment always changes. The people you're talking to also changes. Um, Being adaptable you know, thinking on your feet. These are all things that can cause anybody to be nervous and can continue to feel nervous. But Rob, as you mentioned, it's just about noticing it and changing those behaviors. So how, how can people even begin to start to be like, okay, instead of picking my nails or, you know, doing whatever, how can I try to do something else? Yep. I believe, so thinking biologically, what happens? So the reason for the heartbeat, the hands getting sweaty, the mouth getting dry is a biological response that comes from our brain. And it's called an amygdala, amygdala hijack. An amygdala hijack. And there's a part of the brain, it's a small, small pea-sized part of the brain called the amygdala, but it floods our body with adrenaline. So biologically, we're being flooded with adrenaline that gives us that fast heartbeat, that sweaty palms. And the way to combat that is, all right, how do we reduce that amygdala hijack? Well, things like breathing, things like mindfulness, things like really being present here as opposed to up here. So some things we can do is just a few deep breaths. As that adrenaline builds up, we become tense. So doing a body scan where we like clench our fist and we squeeze, 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 and then relax. It burns all the adrenaline, it uses it up. And now we biologically, we physically feel more at ease, more relaxed. And on that point, one last thing, Jessica, is that sometimes we can't control everything. So for example, I'm a big sweater. I sweat a lot. And I was on a call the other week and I didn't have an undershirt underneath. And my sweat was all the way out here. Oh, and no. I was like this the whole time during the conversation because I didn't want to open my arm. But that's something I can't really control. But what I can do is I can wear an undershirt. <laughs> and if you're a big sweater like me, they make these undershirts that have like this extra padding. So it soaks up all the sweat so it doesn't come through. So I love that. Like that too. I love that you also just shared that. So a few things. So you know, breathing is huge. And I really liked the way you just demonstrated that. Like you actually just did it. You were just like, and there was actually the silence. And that was probably just you just recollecting yourself. So for those who are watching and just watching us right now and listening, even just that simple exercise can completely just reconfigure a lot of those anxiousness that's just overcoming, right? Um, One tip, and I'm actually just looking at all the comments that are coming in about like how people's how people react, you know, Garrett saying speaking too fast, you know, Jody saying her voice cracks, uh, Cynthia says her heart begins to throb. I mean, I think these are very natural human reactions. So don't, first of all, don't feel like anything's wrong. I think this is just part of being human. One way that has worked really well for me anytime that I've felt anxious 
is I realize it's because I am focusing too much on being anxious and not so much on, wait, I'm giving a presentation. It's not about me. It's really about the audience. Like, let me just think about the audience instead of just thinking about me and how my hands and palms are sweaty. And I feel like that redirect has helped me shift a lot of that anxious energy and make that into energy that's going to be more about speaking louder, speaking with more confidence, right? Because anxiousness is also some, in some ways you can say it's it's energy, but it's just kind of energy within, right? But if you can kind of take that energy and redirect it from you to those who you're speaking with, whether it's just one person, five people, or 100, 500 people, redirecting it, I feel has helped for me, propel me to actually even speak with more confidence. So I don't know if that's something that's you know, resonates with you, Rob, or something that you've experienced yourself, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. No, I love that. I love it. It makes me think of jujitsu. <laughs> and jujitsu, I don't do martial arts, but I used to play American football. And one of the things, I was a smaller person, but I had to use the the weight of the bigger linemen against themselves to my advantage. So it reminds me of jujitsu here because you have all this negative anxiety coming your way. But if you absorb it all, you're just going to get taken with it. But if in a way you can redirect it, as you're saying, redirect it to your advantage, now you can turn that anxiety into excitement. And then excitement can bring the audience in. I love that. Mm -hmm. You just came up with something. This anxiety (laughs) jujitsu. I love that. We should coin that term. Yeah. (laughs) Anxiety jujitsu. It could be its own sport (laughs) in some ways. (laughs) Um, Okay. I want to pivot right now because I want to get everybody's thoughts who's listening right now in terms of when do you find yourself feeling the most anxious at work? Throw your comments in the chat function and let us know, is it when you're talking to your manager? Is it when you're doing work presentations? Is it when you are uh, sharing bad news? Mm. Write it in the chat function of Maybe even think back, maybe something like this happened recently of when you last felt really anxious and nervous. Throw into the chat function of when you notice all those symptoms, let's say, you know, the voice cracking, the sweaty palms, you know, talking too fast. What scenario were you all in? So, Rob, before we kind of dive into that and seeing what our folks here are writing, mm-hmm. what do you hear of when people do feel the most anxious? Like in what scenarios often does that happen? Yeah, especially in the work context. A lot of it is public speaking. Yeah. So standing up in front of an audience where a lot of eyes are on you and there's this fear of judgment. So people fear being judged by other people and fearful of saying the wrong thing. So public speaking, certainly. Also, when there's a power dynamic. Mm. So, for example, maybe power dynamic in terms of cultural difference or power dynamic in terms of organizational position. So, for example, if you're talking with the supervisor, you always want to make sure that you're doing what you need to do. But you're always perceiving that the supervisor is going to be judging you. So that's another situation that that people tend to, to say causes anxiety. But the reality is these situations and these scenarios will probably always be a part of our working life, right? We're probably always going to be in situations where we'll have to get presentations from time to time, we might have to have those 
awkward conversations. Let's just call it that, right? I'm looking at a lot of the comments that are coming in. A lot of people are saying presentations. Um, Sierra is saying having difficult conversations. Mm. Samantha, giving presentations of any kind, um, presenting to a large group, speaking to senior managers with executives. <laughs> Somebody wrote asking out on a date. <laughs> That's oh, definitely something to do. Um, and I love reading these comments because I also hope this shows and for everybody who's here right now that we're not alone in feeling this way. This is definitely a very natural human reaction. So I'm curious, Rob, depending on the scenario, right? Because there's a lot of scenarios that we're seeing right now. Does your approach change? Should it change when it comes to dealing with anxiety? I believe there's a common foundation. No matter the context, there's a common foundation. And First, we need to be aware of these life scripts that we share with ourselves, these life scripts. And a life script is pretty much when we tell ourselves over and over and over again, like, I'm not good at dancing. I'm not good at singing. I'm not good at public speaking. And all of that conversation, in a way, prevents us from actually practicing to become better at dancing, to become better at singing, to actually practice. I believe the same conversation happens no matter the context of public speaking or communication in general. Because we, we say to ourselves over and over again, ah, I get nervous, I get anxious, I'm not good, people are going to judge me, da, 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 all these messages. But what we should do is we should shift it and say, you know what, I may not be the best at it now, although I can certainly improve. I can certainly improve by asking somebody out on a date. I can certainly improve by having a difficult conversation. So that foundation, that first awareness of the life script is important. And then I believe practice, continually practicing helps. And I'm reminded, I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. And I'm reminded of our coach, Kevin Stefanski on his wall. He has this, this quote that says, confidence, a demonstrated ability of doing something over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So in sports, you build confidence by practice and do it over and over and over again. Swimming, whatever it might be. Same thing with public speaking or asking people out or having a difficult conversation. The more we do it, the better we become. But the important thing is, is really learning from our failures. Yeah. So really building this practical wisdom of, all right, you have this conversation. It didn't go well. Yeah. Okay. Learn from it. What didn't go well? Next time you have a difficult conversation, make an adjustment. Practice that. See how it goes. Okay, a little bit better. Okay, what else can you improve on? That iteration is very important and also the commitment to grow. So I think reframing that life script into a growth mindset is super important no matter what the context is. I think because most people, when they are in these scenarios that a lot of people just listed out in the chat, because it was such an uncomfortable experience, people try to avoid that mm. at all costs. I never want to do another presentation. I never want to have that kind of conversation again. I don't want to talk in meetings or, you know, whatever. So they avoid it. But I think what we're actually suggesting, and I completely agree, is actually leaning into that and actually continuously practicing. So I would actually always say, I know people hate public speaking, for example, but finding opportunities to do it in even maybe like low stakes scenarios where it's maybe like a smaller group is the perfect way for you to continuously practice. And I can personally vouch for this because trust me, 
I did not like public speaking. But fortunately for me, I ended up choosing a career that really was like, you've got to be a better public speaker. I used to be a former journalist. So yeah, I had to learn and it just gets so much easier. So yeah, when it comes to practice repetition, like you said, Rob, I completely agree. The more you do it, the more easy it gets. And a lot of the mental barriers that we were talking about, um, it actually reminds me, I teach a lot about breaking mental barriers in a lot of the communications courses we have at Soulcast Media. And I feel like that's always step one. Step one is really identifying what your mental barriers are. Everybody has unique mental barriers because why you may feel anxious speaking can be unique to you and it's different for somebody else. So in my courses, I, I always talk about how you can find your mental barriers in order to pivot and then try to reshape your thinking. And then from there, then, you know, that's when we can start talking about the technical communication techniques, right? Because I, we, Rob and I, you and I can just talk about, okay, do this in communications, do that in communications. But if you're still feeling nervous, if you're still feeling like you can't put yourself out there, then all these techniques you're learning, it won't really matter, right? So yeah, I completely agree. Repetition is key. Um, Okay, so I know you do a lot of one-on-ones as well. Um, that's part of like the communications coaching that you do, which by the way, people can book a time with Rob at Soulcast Media because he is a communications coach here with Soulcast Media. He would be great because I will say there's nothing more powerful than actually working with somebody one-on-one with in regards to your communications. But anyways, go to our website to find that. You can book a time with Rob there. But Rob, when you do work with people one-on-one, I'm curious to see, do you have some sort of like framework or technique of when you do work with people personally versus like bigger types of training? Yeah, I believe it's a lot of starting where the person is. Yeah. So really listening, starting with what are the concerns this person has? So maybe it's just standing up and being comfortable in front of an audience. Okay, well, stand up. Practice standing there. Notice your arms. If your arms start to come up, just notice those. Become aware of it. Relax. Move over here. Take a seat. Relax. So a lot of it is just starting with where the person identifies, like, here's where I need some help. Okay, great. Let's work on that. But then a lot of it is going back to what I mentioned earlier of the deep breathing, the body skin, squeezing. A lot of different practices to experience more ease. And as you mentioned before, once we had that foundation set, now we can start talking about more of the technical things. Like how do we talk via virtual communication on a computer, via Zoom or whatever the platform might be. Okay, let's talk about setting up your space, getting lighting set up. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about storytelling because storytelling is super important. So how do you bring an audience in to your presentation through stories? Data, how do you collect data? Real quick, I, I asked a whole bunch of people, former students and, and whatnot, what their biggest anxieties were with speaking. And look at all this. About 40-some people generated like 90 different, 90 different anxieties. But the one-on-one setting is super important because it does offer you opportunity to practice. And we already mentioned that practice helps make more consistent patterns. So that practice is super important, but really starting with where is it that the person needs help and developing a plan together to, to achieve that, that goal of becoming more efficient and clear in communicating. I do love one-on-ones because 
same thing. I'll have them, you know, actually verbally practice whatever it is that they want to practice. And they're always like surprised at how many strange bodily things they even do or not do. Right. Like they're like, wow, I didn't realize I like play with my fingers a lot or mm. I like, you know, touch my hair a lot or, you know, I shrug my shoulders. I mean, people do very funny things. But the thing is, like, unless somebody's watching you and, you know, ready to give you that constructive feedback, you may not even know that you're doing these things. So yep. it's yep. and and when we talk when we're talking about communications, communications is part of expressing yourself. And, you know, if you can't express yourself in the way that you want to be perceived, I mean, that's a problem, too. Right. So I think having that awareness and somebody to let you know what that is, is quite important. Um I want to do a quick reset right now because we're about, oh my God, we've been chatting for over 20 minutes now, Rob. It's, oh. just, it's just flying. And I and I love the interaction that we're getting from everybody who's watching. We have over 125 of you who dialed in. So thank you so much for being here. By the way, if anybody has any specific questions for Rob and I, throw it into the chat function because we'd love to take any of your questions. One thing that has been coming up that I've been noticing in this chat is this idea of speaking to somebody who is your manager, who's in leadership. I feel like that's a very, probably as high up as public speaking in terms of speaking with people, having anxiety when you speak with people. So tell me what you think, Rob, when it comes to trying to overcome that anxiety when you're speaking to somebody who's your superior. Yeah, I think there, there's there's two ways we can approach this. First is, all right, as, we're, as we are speaking with the supervisor, what can we do? But then also, if we're in a supervisor position, what can we do to support our supervisee? So I think it's important mm -hmm. to talk about both of those. Yes. And first, as a supervisee, it's important to be able to set boundaries. And that's another common concern I hear from people I work with. How do I set a boundary? What does it look like to set a boundary? And I'd like to share, I wrote down three different skills or three different things you could do to help set, set boundaries. So first is, just start off with a, with a small boundary. So, for example, Jessica, if you're my manager, I say, you know what, Jessica? Family time is very important to me. At 6 p.m., I won't be checking email. Very small, very small boundary. 6 p.m., stepping away from email, no more email for the day. So really being clear, small boundary there, setting email, putting it off to the side, starting small. A second thing is to be consistent. So, Jessica, if I tell you I'm not going to check email after six at 6 p.m. and beyond, it doesn't help me to check email at 7 o'clock one day because now you might be like, all right, that boundary's starting to, to bend a little bit. Now mm -hmm. I can start to get Rob to do a little bit more work. And then finally, create a framework. So I'm thinking of like a, a mantra that we can tell ourselves over and over and over again. And this mantra could be something like family first, family first, family first, family first. So if you're being asked to do something and you have anxiety of saying no or saying not right now, family first, family first, family first. That might help you to say, you know what, Jessica, I can't do the work right now. I have family matters to attend to, but I can certainly do that in the morning. Or one of my favorites, one of my favorites is, it comes from one of my, my undergraduate professors, Devika Chava at Ohio University. She says that one's lack of planning doesn't constitute an emergency for me. Mm. So one's lack of planning, if someone doesn't plan, if your supervisor doesn't plan, and now they want to put all that burden onto you, it's important for us, anxiety jujitsu here, not to take that energy and absorb it, but in a way redirect it. 
and say, you know what? Thanks for putting that out of me. Family first at 6 p.m. I can start working on it in the morning, but not right now. Your lack of planning doesn't constitute an emergency for me. I love that. I mean, yeah. this can be perfectly summed up as it's a very important skill to learn how to manage up. This is what we're talking about here, managing up. Mm. We often talk about managers are managing us, but we can also manage our manager's expectations. And that's actually very important for career success. I've talked about it in our previous Soulcast Media Lives, but it's how people can also respect you. Because if you're constantly the yes person, because you feel like you just have to say yes, people are going to start taking advantage of that. And that's just because they feel like you're always available when in fact, you've got a lot of things to do too, right? So one of the things that I really liked in your, your three-part framework as well is that when you said family time, right? You're letting your boss know, for example, that I'm not checking emails past six, but instead of just saying that, you're also saying why. It's because I'm spending time with my family and I'm pretty sure, hopefully knock on wood, any good boss understands that. And as long as you know, you're delivering, you're performing, you're hitting your, your metrics or whatever it is, I'm sure that they hopefully can be understanding of that. Right. But I think explaining the why is, is quite important. And it doesn't have to be this long dialogue, long conversation. Um, as long as your manager is reasonable, I feel like they, they would understand for sure. Yeah. Yeah, do you I, have believe, yeah I believe that the, the word hopefully is also something that's important because hopefully that would be the case. And it makes me just think back to people leaving jobs. It's not so much the job people leave, but managers. So it's really important for managers. If we're in a managing position, how can we improve our communication so that we are supporting supervisees? And there are some things that we can do. And one of them is offering supportive critique and feedback. So imagine like the sandwich method, something I learned very young in school, but it's something that sticks with me and will continue to stick with me of finding the value in something what someone does. So finding the value and acknowledging that, praising that, but then working in a critique saying, you know what, Jessica, the energy you had was phenomenal. Keep that energy up. One thing to work on is really notice your arms because your arms come up. That's something that you can relax a little bit there. Now, remember your energy is phenomenal. So keep bringing that energy in and instead of bringing your arms up, use them for gestures. Mm -hmm. Like that sandwich method of the, what are they doing well, the critique, and then what are they doing well can springboard into improving. And as a supervisee, if you go into a meeting with a supervisor and you're used to just getting berated over and over and over again for, for things you do wrong, that's just going to increase our anxiety. So if we're in managing positions, think about how you can use that sandwich method in offering feedback. So really quickly, sandwich method. Can you go through it one more time again? So people, anybody who's taking down knows they know exactly what that means again. Yeah, certainly. So there's three parts to it. Imagine like the buns, the first and the third part. The buns are the, the identifying what somebody does well. So first, identify what somebody does well. Jessica, your energy was phenomenal. That's the first part. The second part is the critique. So imagine like the middle part of the sandwich. That's the critique. We say, you know what, Jessica? I noticed that your arms came up. Now relax your arms. Remember to relax your arms. But then it's important to finish with that feedback again, that positive feedback of saying, now remember, your energy was phenomenal. Now bring that energy back in. And instead of 
bring your arms up here, use them for gestures. So keep building on that energy. So the sandwich method is a really good method whenever we have to approach feedback types of conversation when whenever we have to, you know, engage in maybe like awkward conversations, because, you know, nobody wants to go into a meeting and listen to just a bunch of negative things, right? People become defensive, people become mm. closed off, like that's just not great communication. So if you want people to be receptive, if you want your conversation to be a conversation, a dialogue, the sandwich method is a really good thing. Um, one thing that I wanted to touch upon, because I do see this in the comments is, a lot of people feel anxious specifically in interview types of settings. I'm not talking about even just job interviews. Of course, that's one of them. But maybe even like at the workplace that we're at right now, maybe your boss is asking you about something or just the interview types of setting where there's a lot of Q&A back and forth. People get nervous in that. I'll share my thoughts on it. And I want to get your thoughts, Rob. So yeah. I feel like a lot of people get nervous in that type of setting because people feel like they have to prove themselves. A lot of times in Q&As, that's what it is. Like You feel like you have to constantly prove yourself. And that's not always a very comfortable position to be in. But I always say when it comes to interviews where you do have to, quote unquote, prove yourself or showcase or, you know, show that you're capable, making sure that your messaging isn't so much about just you, but tailoring your responses so you can show why your capabilities benefits the other person. Mm. I feel like that's a very powerful communications technique, so to speak, where it can take, again, that anxiety off of you. So instead of saying like, oh, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, it's more like I can do that because it can help this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's more like bouncing it back to the other person so it's not so much about you because that's where a lot of the anxiety can stem from because you're just constantly thinking about yourself. But anyways, I'd love to get your thoughts on dealing with interviews, types of settings, and anxieties there. Yep. Yeah. No, that reminded me of a conversation I have with my brother, Matt, who was in positions where he would hire, interview and hire people. And he mentioned that someone might have a textbook response. They might say this, that, the other, correct. Exactly how you would want to hear it. And the way that it was delivered, though, was very impersonal and very cookie cutter. So in addition to the, the framing, how is it that what we do can benefit them? It's also showing that we are somebody that they would want to work with. So that really resonates, Jessica. And then something else I would add is really do your preparation. Really do your preparation. So for example, for this conversation, just wrote down some notes. Wrote down some notes. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> but all that preparation, what it does is it seeps into our unconscious, unconsciousness. So that it's there, but when we're in the conversation, something might just bubble up. And that bubbling up, that improvisation, that spontaneity won't happen unless we do that preparation. So I think in terms of being ourselves, if we're ourselves every day and we're prepared and we know what we're talking about, then in a conversation, all the information will bubble up if we give it the space to bubble up. Oh my gosh, that is such an important golden nugget that you just said, because a lot of people are like, oh, preparation, I'm just going to wing it. But the point of preparation is to also get your mind thinking as well. It's not necessarily to be scripting things out unless scripting is your style, right? But like prior preparation is getting your mind to start thinking in that way, in that environment, in that context, right? So that when you're in this moment, like you said, 
these things will just pop up. It's not like you're reading the notes that you you spent writing out, right? But you spent however many minutes just writing it down so that you know that if I ask you a question, it may trigger something in you be like, oh, wait, I know what I can say in response to that, right? So don't underestimate the power of preparation when it comes to communications. Absolutely. Certainly. <laughs> um, One last thing on that, Jessica, too, is that it could be your notes that you think through and you write. It could also be podcasts that you listen to, videos that you watch. So as long as we're getting that exposure, no matter where it's coming from, that's just going to get, like you said, get you to start thinking. So it could be podcasts, videos, whatever it might be. So we've been chatting for almost 40 minutes now, which is insane because I feel like this time is flying by. So what I want to do now is I want to open it up to those who are on this right now, the over 110 of you guys. Thank you all so much for staying and watching and listening. Hopefully you guys are walking away with what I call some golden nuggets. Please throw in any questions that you may have regarding your workplace, um, difficult conversations that you may be anticipating, a presentation. If you have anything specific, throw it into the chat function uh, because we want to make sure to answer any questions that you may have because we're just so grateful that you guys are all here. But Rob, as we sort of start wrapping up here, mm -hmm. do you have any tips in terms of if you really want people to walk away from today's talk of overcoming communications anxiety at work, what are some things, and I know we shared so much already, but any other things that you can share with our audience today? Yeah, I think, so I guess to sum, sum, summarize and offer some summative steps, I wrote this four-step process, this four-step process that we can, we can do. And the first step is just to recognize when our thoughts start to restrain us. Hmm or our thoughts begin to fog us up. So like imagine, going back to those life scripts. So imagine you say, I'm not good at interviews. I'm not good at this. First step is to recognize that. The second step is to recognize that thought and then just let it go. So don't dwell on it. Mm, don't very dwell important. On it. Yep. And it, and it reminds me of, of a quote. I'd like to read the quote here. It's from... Shinryu Suzuki, and Suzuki says, leave your front door and your back door open. Hmm. Allow thoughts to come and go. Just don't serve them tea. <laughs> because when we serve them tea is when we start to really mull over them and ruminate over them, and it prevents us from taking the step to improve. So the first step is recognize those thoughts. Second step is to let that thought go. The third step is to take a small step of improvement. So I'm, I work with a lot of people in Gen Z and a common fear of Gen Zers is talking to people on a phone. Oh. On the phone, calling someone on the phone. So if that's a, if that's a trigger for anxiety, the first step, recognize your anxiety of speaking over the phone, let that thought go, pick up the phone, call somebody. Practice. Try it again. And then afterwards, the fourth step is after you finish up, you're going to recognize those thoughts that start to come back in. And then the, the final step is just repeat the whole process. So let that thought go. Practice. The thoughts come back in. Let that thought go. Practice again. Patricia had a question that I wanted to address because I know this is something that, you know, a lot of people can resonate with. And chances are we may hit this at some point in our career. It's how do you go about asking for a raise? 
it is a very uncomfortable conversation. I totally get that, Patricia. But it's an important conversation to be had because you have to get paid for your worth. And you're definitely worth, all of us are definitely worth something. So how do you even approach a conversation of a raise like that? Rob, what are your thoughts? Yeah. It's always challenging because it's important to figure out what the the balance is of building rapport with the person you're asking raise a raise from. And then how do you phrase the, the statement, the request in a way that is asking for a raise, but then also backing it up with data to prove your, your worth. I don't say proving your worth, but proving your worth in quotes in their perspective. So what is it that they need or want? What do they value? And then framing what you've done, as you mentioned during interviews, to their expectations. But also recognizing you even may have rapport. For example, I worked at a, a local community park, Highland Heights, and I went to go ask my boss, who was my Little League baseball coach, for a raise. And his response was, you should be happy that you work here. So that to me was like, you know what? This isn't a place I, I really like to work at anymore. So even with rapport, there may be some sort of factors that may not lend to getting a raise. And then being aware of that and saying, well, how, how is this workplace really limiting my potential? And keep working, maybe fine. Try to see if there's other opportunities for work. We're working we're experiencing a great opportunity for moving different companies, especially with COVID and COVID hopefully soon ending of uh, people moving to new business companies, but getting a significant raise there. So typically we think, how do you get a raise within one organization? But we can also get a raise by moving organizations, moving out and moving up. So it's something to consider if your supervisor isn't open to offering raises. When it comes to asking for a raise, the way I think about it is, I mean, first of all, preparation in terms of how it is you want to engage in that conversation. And number two is really just going in with some stellar facts and data of some great things that you accomplish. And there's no doubt that all of us can find things, even small things that we've been able to show. And you want to make sure that whatever those things are and have a number of them, that you are able to eloquently, eloquently, I can't even say that, eloquently, eloquently showcase that when you are communicating. And the reason why is because you can't just go in with a ask. They have, there has to be a compelling reason as to why should they give you that X number? Oh, it's because Jessica, you know, did do that project. Oh, I'm reminded of that. Because here's the thing, a lot of times, even though you do do something good at your job and your organization, other people may easily forget that it happened. And that's just because people are just busy. We just have so many things to do. Your manager has a lot of things that they have to finish and, and accomplish as well. But when you're having those conversations, it's reminding them of what a great warrior you are, right? I'm able to do all this stuff. So yes, I feel like I'm justified in asking for this rage and I'd like for you to consider it. So that's my two cents when it comes to that. Um, okay, so... What I want to do now is, you know what, Rob, thank you so much for taking yeah. the time and sharing your knowledge when it comes to communications. It was a fun, and like I said, these things fly. It was a fun 45 minutes just chatting with you on all things communications. 
Like I mentioned, Rob is one of our one-on-one communications coaches here at Soulcast Media. It's actually a new service that we launched just this month where people can book time with our four amazing public speaking coaches. Rob is one of them. And like I said, there's nothing more powerful than working with somebody on your own specific communications. But Rob, you don't just do public speaking training, right? What else do you do? Yeah, public speaking training. Also, in terms of bargaining and negotiating. Mm. So Patricia, your comment, there's a whole bunch of, of tools and I have written down here of how is it that we can bargain and negotiate? So public speaking, bargaining, negotiating, communicating across cultural difference. Yeah. So how is it that we especially recognize the standpoints that we have and all the perceptions that come with our, our different cultural identities? So really communicating across cultures as well. Those are just a few. So if anybody's interested in the one-on-one, if no one's ever done one-on-one, I highly recommend it as a great way for career and even personal development. So you can find out how to book a time with Rob. Just go on our website, which you can kind of see on the bottom right now. It's soulcastmedia.com. Some other ways you can work with us at Soulcast Media, because we are all about communications, is we have a monthly membership program where every month you guys get to work with me. We jump on a live call, kind of like this, but we work specifically on a new communications topic. So If anybody has ever thought about having a consistent communications practice, the Soulcast Media membership, which is what it's called, is a great resource. The one-on-one coaching, like we mentioned, but we also do corporate trainings as well, where we'll go into companies such as Google and we will do trainings with their learning and development team. So if that's something that you feel would be great for your team or organization, feel free to reach out to us at Soulcast Media as well. But Rob, thank you so much for taking your afternoon. Yeah, thank you. It was so fun chatting with you. And again, hopefully everybody who listened walked away with hopefully even just one or two golden nuggets that they can simply just apply right now as we just all go back to work after Mm -hmm. listening to this. For everybody who's watching, I want to say we appreciate you for dialing in. I do these Soulcast Media Live events every two weeks, and I always have a guest come on, just like Rob, and we talk about communications. So if you're interested in attending our next one, Go back to our website. Everything's on our website, Soulcast Media, where we're posting our next event. And be sure to RSVP for that. RSVP for this one as well, because you'll get a recording um, once this all ends. And you can take down any notes if you guys didn't get a chance to do that. So with that, I want to thank you, Rob, again. And thank you all for tuning in and staying. We had such a great turnout. I'm so happy that all of you guys are taking the time to really level up your communications. It's one of the most important skills. So Rob, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Jessica. Take care. Bye. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're inspired to begin improving your communications confidence, well, we'd love to help. Join our monthly communications membership where I teach a brand new communications workshop every single month. Or become a VIP member to access our best communications articles for life. Or maybe... Get one-on-one coaching with one of our board of communicators. We offer so many ways for you to learn, and it's all housed on our website, soulcastmedia.com. Check it out, and happy communicating.